Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Goals on Film, Edge of the Crowd's dedicated sports movies podcast. I'm your host, Jason, and I've got Stu and Kieran joining me once more this week. How's the week been for the both of you? Yeah, good. Um, uh, I've had a little bit more sleep than Stewie, so I'm feeling a little bit refreshed. Uh, I enjoyed this movie much more than the last one. Yeah, I uh, once again, I agree with Kieran. I, I enjoyed this movie a lot more than the last movie. Um, this was actually a good movie, so that was nice. <laughs> uh, um, and my week's been good, man. You know, the World Cup's happening. Um, love the World Cup, so just been watching a shitload of that. Not getting much sleep, as uh, <laughs> Kieran alluded to, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's been good, man. Yeah, well, this week we are obviously continuing to celebrate the FIFA World Cup and we are taking a look at 2009 football drama The Damned United. The film, which is based on a 2006 novel by David Pearce, follows the story of football manager Brian Clough, one of England's greatest soccer managers, and his 44 controversial days at the helm of reigning champs Leeds United after taking Derby to a first-place League 2 finish and to the top tier of English football. However, Clough takes the role of Leeds after the resignation of revered manager Don Revy, um, but can't get the backing of the team at all, eventually getting sacked after six weeks and reuniting with his former assistant manager, Peter Taylor. It's an inspiring story and a humorous uh, story as well about the power of friendship in the face of adversity and the stubborn will of one man to play by his own rules. And so Kieran, Stewie, what did you each think of the movie? Stewie, we'll get your thoughts first. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, I, I was into it from the start. Um, I was just saying off mic before, and I said to you when we were watching it, Jace, like the 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 Brian Clough character, the actor playing Brian Clough, I, I was a bit on the fence with him to begin with. I thought he was – I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was he was doing, but um, he was – I mean, he was acting, obviously, but <laughs> he was doing something like – that just didn't sit well with me, but come the end of the movie, um, all those troubles had kind of floated away and uh, I, w- I was fully invested. So yeah. Kieran, what do you think, mate? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I didn't know a whole lot about the story. I mean, I know enough about Brian Clough to know he won the championship, the European cup, the champions league precursor twice in a row with Nottingham forest. And he's very quotable legend of the game in England, but I didn't know anything about this time because this has kind of been, you know, washed away by the Nottingham forest years. So it was interesting to see how he came up and uh, how he didn't always work for him. He had to learn some lessons on the way. Yeah, I think I agree with both of you. I think that I didn't really understand the story, even like, you know, after the events of this film as well. Like I, you know, I went into this movie not knowing anything about um, Brian Clough himself or, um, you know, not much about like English football at the same time as, and uh, yeah. And so like, I think that I was able to go into it with like a fresh set of eyes and, um, learn about this sort of stuff and like what happened and like how the movie told the story and we'll get into how it told the story a bit later as well but you know I want to touch on a point that you just made Stewie as well like how you know you sort of like at the start of the movie you may not have like liked some of the elements of it or you know whether that was like how the story was told or how some of the characters were portrayed but by the end of it like you were sort of like into it and you could understand um why they were doing it this way like filming the movie or um you know sort of the sequence of the movie um going back and forth and so I think that yeah I said to you last night or while we were watching it um that like at the start I didn't really like it going back and forth like I understood why um but towards the end of the movie I think that as you sort of learn all of that understanding throughout the movie I think that stuff like that like you learn to like sort of accept that the way that they're doing that like the filmmakers are doing that and editing that in that way 
um, I think that, you know, it really sort of helps to tell the story of, you know, why I guess Brian Clough is the way that he is and um, just like, you know, going back and forth um, in his sort of like managerial roles and telling it that way. So I think by the end of it, I really liked the way that uh, the story was told. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed like the uh, the back and forth of it, just like on a football end of things, being like kind of football crazy. I like seeing the tables and the scores and I don't know how accurate that all that stuff was because it uh, might be a shock to some of the listeners, but it was a little bit before my time. But uh, I know Kieran's got some got some stuff he's going to talk about later on the accuracy, so uh, I guess we'll tackle that then. Yeah, we'll like lead into it now as well, and sort of like like I said in that opening synopsis, it is based on a book, um, David Pierce's bestseller from two thousand and six, titled "The Damn United." Um, it is a largely fictional book uh, based on David Pierce's interpretation of Brian Clough's uh, you know tenure as the manager of Leeds United in nineteen seventy four, and so. Um, it's sort of described as fiction based on fact. And so it uh, this piece of work basically portrays Clough as a paranoid alcoholic with psychotic tendencies, um, whereas in the film Michael Sheen plays Brian Clough, um, you know, a bit lighter. Um, we don't really see any of uh, psychotic tendencies at all that uh, David Pierce obviously, um, you know, came to learn or understand um, maybe how Brian Clough acted Um but uh, yeah, that was just his, uh, I mean, David Pierce's interpretation. And um, yeah, that's uh, that's sort of like the background on uh, how this movie was made, or um, I guess like the start of the background in terms of how some people see the story of Brian Clough and how others see the story of Brian Clough. Um, because, you know, you have these different interpretations and, you know, you come together to, I guess, make a movie about him um about his time in this span um of uh you know a couple of years i think it's like yeah six or seven years or so um and yeah it's just weird to me how like there can be so many interpretations and sort of which one they choose to go with in the end yeah i think that works anyway because i mean he's a very it's a, a large than life character so i don't think anybody who interacted with him is going to have any two people are going to have the same opinion of him or any two people are gonna have the same experiences or 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 reality of him even because you know he was such a huge icon and huge personality you don't have to look at actual interviews with him that he like he giggles and laughs and cracks jokes and is sarcastic with actual in press conferences and with panel interview shows he's not someone who um everyone has the same take on so i don't know how easy it is to do an actual true story of him because i don't know that one actually exists that's a really good point he was a uh, larger than life character and uh yeah, that's something that maybe I hadn't considered until you mentioned that then, Kieran, that, um, you know, no two people would have the the same view of him because of his, uh, you know, because of that personality, a bit brash and a bit cocky and stuff. And, and yeah, yeah, I just want to say that that's a good point. Yeah, and, like, I even go back to that, like, one of the final scenes of where, you know, he and the team and the, I guess, owners are in the, um, ch- in the change rooms or in the players' room and, you know, he's sort of like, you know, is asked to step out of the room and one of the players is like, you know, winking to him like, we've got your back and then they talk shit about him afterwards. What's going on? As far as I can see, there's no relationship, there's no understanding between players and management. Well, not a healthy one anyway. <coughs> uh, <clears throat> perhaps if Mr Clough was to step outside, we might be able to speak our minds. All right. 
If you wouldn't mind, Brian. Just for a few minutes. As you wish. Nobody likes him. Hey, the atmosphere in the dressing room's not existing. He's bothered us from doing all the things we used to do. Like playing bingo, curb balls. Practically. He's never prepared. Hey, he doesn't even tell us how he wants us to play. We're not even allowed to mention Mr. Reeby's name. What me and the lads have kind of seen Mr. Cousins is, uh, compared to Mr. Reeby, he's just not good enough. What's going on, boss? The last two words of every story ever written is what's going on. The fucking end. I guess, like, it's a bit of that as well. Like, you know, just, you know, he thinks that he has to trust sometimes other people, but they see him a different way. And I guess, like, that just comes into it as well, like maybe in real life. Uh, so we will move on to the references to history now as well. And um, we've sort of touched on it in terms of, you know, the portrayal of Brian Clough. And so his uh, family or like his family has criticised the film um, as they state that it's not a true story of events. Um, maybe according to the family, Brian Clough was had psychotic tendencies and so David Pierce was right. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think that uh, the snub, of cloth by Don Revy. Um, I think the family said that this probably never happened um, as it had never been mentioned by cloth in any of his memoirs and uh, or by Reverie's son, Duncan, um, you know, it feels like it would have been out of character for his father to do such a thing. And um, Don Revy at the end said that as well. You just went to Leeds with no thought for the club, no thought for the players, just on some mad personal vendetta against me. Well, are you surprised? What else was I gonna do? After what you did. What did I do? Come on, Don, you know exactly. January 27th, 1968. See, I even remember the date. You came to Derby County, huh? third round of the FA Cup, and you refused to shake my hand. Never. No, a matter of principle, I always shake the other manager's hand. No, you shook Peter Taylor's hand and my trainer, Jimmy Gordon. I probably didn't see you. No, you saw me, Don, but considered me beneath you. Look down on me and dismiss me just like you did every other club and every other manager in the country. Never would I knowingly refuse to shake your colleague's hand. No. But I think, Kieran, you've got a bit more um, about that particular interview that we saw at the end and where they are talking about the uh, snub of not uh, of uh, Don Revy not shaking Brian Clough's hand. Yeah, I watched the full interview straight after the movie. Um, it's on YouTube on ITV's channel. Um, it's a really good interview. Um, they, they, the movie gets the dynamic between the two guys absolutely correct and they they don't do it word for word they don't do impressions of them the actors do it really well where they just sort of get it they get it right basically they they get the essence of the guys right and the, the mood and the tension correct but they don't do it word for word and um one of the things the movie focuses on a lot about is that that snubbed handshake and it's barely mentioned in the actual interview the, the main interview focuses on them having completely different processes of how to approach a new job at a new football club and how to take over a job at a new football club and um, Don Revy has completely, completely different beliefs of how you would walk in on your first day than, than uh, Brian Clough does. So that's the essence of the interview. And that takes up the majority of the time. And that's um, not focused on in the film because they want to plant that seed early on when he's, he's the coach uh, uh, and uh, Don Revy's coming to town and he, he, he doesn't say hello to him after the game. So they want to have that narrative thread through the movie. But that's it, not really the way it seemed to have gone down in real life as far as what I saw on the actual footage. I do want to say as well, though, this this director, uh, if we're not going to get into it later, he, he has a reputation of playing 
a bit loose with with the truth. So he directed. I don't like him. First of all, Tom Hooper. I don't think he's very good, <laughs> but I like this movie. So he's done um, Les Mis, which is why I don't like him. He's done The King's Speech, which is why I don't like him, and he's done Danish <laughs> Girl, which I haven't seen, but um, I'm going to assume based on the other two movies that I, I would enjoy it. But the, the, the Danish Girl and The King's Speech have both been accused of having lots of factual inaccuracies for the purpose of the story. So I think when you see a Tom Hooper movie and it's based on a true story, it's it's not really. To that point, I, I, I was just doing a little bit of a trivia check. And um piece of trivia here that I've, that I've just come across says that uh, the film clearly implies Brian Clough was set up by Yorkshire TV with the interview with Don Revy. Good evening. Tonight, the football world was stunned by the news that Brian Clough has been sacked as manager of Leeds United. We'll be talking not just to Brian Clough, but also to the man he replaced, whose success he couldn't emulate, Don Revy. To Brian Clough, first of all, what's your reaction to being sacked in this fashion? Um, well, obviously, Austin, uh, my initial reaction is one of shock at finding myself here with him. Um, but uh, in answer to your question, six weeks is hardly a long time to be given a chance in any job. Uh, I would hope that Revy will get a lot longer time in his. And uh, that is not true. Uh, apparently, they both knew the other was going to be on the show in the lead up to the interview. So, yeah, it does look like that. It looks like they've come prepared with what they want to say as well to each other. Like, yeah. it does go off script at some point. He does turn to him, and um, the interviewer tries to come, like, inter- intervene at some point. But they look like they came in knowing what they want to say, especially right. to each other. Yep. It's a really interesting interview. Yeah, interesting. Um, <laughs> In the film, it's shown that there's three signings that are made by Clough all at once, those of Dave Mackay, John McGovern, and John O'Hare. Um, and actually, Dave Mackay, um, who was a player at Derby um, for a couple of years during uh, Clough's reign, he actually so- sued left bank pitches over his portrayal of the film, and so he didn't like his portrayal of the film. He um, was angered at the implication that he had betrayed Clough in taking the managerial role. Um, and yeah, so that was his thoughts on it, but, uh, he actually, um, Roy McFarland agreed with, uh, Mackay's decision to take legal action. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, um, was he, hold on, was he successful in that litigation? Yeah. So in March of 2010, uh, Mackay won an apology and undisclosed damages from left bank pitches. Wow. <laughs> I just I just found out the last movie that the other reason I can't like when I saw Tom Hooper I went nah but he made this movie first and then he made the King's Speech then he made Les Mis then he made the Danish Girl and then he made 2019's Cats which is just a, a monster <laughs> of a film it's it, it, that movie I saw it in the cinema everyone was looking around like at each other waiting for someone to leave early so we all could it just infused fight or flight tendencies in the whole audience it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is since this movie, he's just been steadily going downhill. I feel like seems like it. Well, that's <laughs> what a dumpster fire that was. <laughs> um, I mean, leading on from I know I'm a bit getting off track for the first point that I made here, but there was actually another instance where um, publishers of the novel had been sued by Irish midfielder and former Leeds player Johnny Giles. Um, saying that many of the things that David Pierce talks about in his book never happened, and for that reason he felt it necessary to, to go to the courts to establish that this was fiction based on fact and nothing more. So that, again, gives you a bit of insight into um, possibly, yeah, the historical side of things or just the accurate portrayal of uh, Brian Clough in the time period. 
Yeah, I mentioned this before we started recording, but the, I feel like this is a really interesting discussion to have when mm. you've when you've got a movie and or or a book or, or some type of media and and it's based on a true story. How much you know artistic freedom do you get to kind of mold the story before it starts becoming litigious? I suppose. Yeah, I guess in football or in any sports industry, reputation counts for a lot. So, but I, I mean, I can't speak for the guys. I can't know what they were feeling, but I feel like events in 1974 to suing about it in 2009, I think they're probably being a little bit sensitive to it, to a movie that's clearly a sports comedy as much as anything. Like it's not, it doesn't purport to be a documentary really. It's, 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 he's clearly playing it like a, like a larger than life character and, I think none of them are the point of the movie. Like none of the plot points really hinge on them, except for you know the guy getting getting off of the derby job instead of instead of cloth. But that's apart from that, it's sort of none of none of them are major plot points of the movie. It's just it sort of just happens in the background, and it's all about how cloth deals with things and how he reacts and overreacts to instances instead of how anybody else interacts with him. Really, everyone else is background noise. So I don't. Um, I mean, they have every right to sue. And I guess they had a case because they got paid out. But I don't know how many casual viewers would have seen it and cared. I don't know how many football fanatics from the 70s would have seen it and not known the truth anyway. So, um, yeah, they had every right to sue. I'm glad they won because, um, as I said, Tom Hooper does play fast and loose with the truth and with cinema taste. So, um, yeah, I'm glad they got their dues. But I don't know how much their reputation would have been suffered after 20-odd years of it. Yeah, good point. So going back to um, the three signings that Clough made of Dave McKay, John McGovern and John O'Hare, um, in the film they say that this was done on the same day. Um, however, McGovern and McKay were signed on different days and O'Hare was almost was signed almost a year before McKay. Um, and so, yeah, Murphy also declared that the insinuation of Clough not wanting to take, wanting to debate with Revere, Revy about his tenure at Leeds United is completely inaccurate. So, again, more uh, former players speaking out about the inaccuracies and um, I guess the film sort of wanting to, um, you know, come together or not really come together, but, um, you know, make sure the events of stuff that like took place within that time, you know, all sort of like amalgamated into like one specific uh, scene um, and one specific sort of portrayal of, you know, what, happened around the time um they just wanted to also like squeeze that into one um to get the story going um but yeah i think like films do that um from time to time like you know sort of give them a bit of leeway but you know sometimes also when it comes to stuff like that where you're saying that a player played you know the season before they actually did then you know i think like all more eagle-eyed viewers and maybe like viewers of leads um in you know remembering that time they might go that play didn't play there, like that's inaccurate. But I think that, you know, like you were saying before, Kieran, about how like some people might, you know, some just random random viewers of this movie, like not might not even take any notice of that sort of thing. But um, obviously the former players know what years they uh, did sign and what years they did play. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, they're the ones to know and they've got every right in saying that, you know, it was inaccurate and, um, yeah, rightly so. Again, though, they do, but, like, it's not the point of the movie, is it? Like the story... The movie's not about when these players got signed. It's, it's about the decisions that that he makes, regardless of when he actually made it, what month, what year he made them. It doesn't really make an impact on on the way the character is portrayed. So I think I think as long as you get the basic parts right to, to to portray what you want, then it doesn't really matter how accurate 
the minute details are because what they wanted to portray was that Clough was a, a a fairly renegade character, someone who did what he wanted without much consultation. And um, after Peter Taylor was gone, didn't really know how to recruit players all that well. It doesn't really matter if he recruited one bad one one year and two the next year or three all at once. They wanted to get across that he's recruiting without Peter Taylor was flawed. So I think, you know, that's the point they want to get across. And I get the players are annoyed about it, but I think the point was still made by the movie. I think the litigation in this movie, and maybe this is an elephant in the room, or maybe it's something that I'm just making up in my head here. But I think the litigation in this movie, let's face it, in the 70s, these football players, by comparison, were paid a pittance, right? Yeah. and uh, in 2009, and even today, they're uh, they're multi-million dollar megastars. And if your name's Killing Mbappe, then you're even richer than that. Um, <laughs> so maybe these older guys have uh, have seen like just some minor things that aren't right, and thought, well, here's our chance to maybe uh, get a bit of back pay for uh, what we didn't get back in the 70s, perhaps. Mm, maybe, yeah. yeah. I can I, I can see myself doing that in a similar situation, to be honest. Hundred <laughs> uh, percent. In the film, Clough is seen preparing Derby's baseball ground stadium ahead of the nineteen sixty eight FA Cup tie against Leeds, and uh, Revy blanking him on the way into the ground. In fact, the tie was not played at the baseball ground, but at Leeds's Allen Road ground. Um, and so, you know, a bit of an accuracy there. Also, um, towards the end, and you sort of alluded to it as well in terms of. Uh, him and uh, Peter, um, you know, his assistant coach, um, going their separate ways um, and, you know, the whole Brighton and Hove Albion uh, side of things. Brian Clough did actually manage Brighton and Hove Albion for 32 games before he departed in July of 1974. Um, However, the film insinuates that he took the Leeds job while on holiday um, and having previously accepted the Brighton job on a handshake and um, taking the holiday paid for by the club that he had to, um, you know, ask for. Sign today and I'll give you a bonus of seven grand each. Seven grand. You hear that, Brian? Plus a salary that exceeds by 20% what Derby were paying you. Very generous, Mike. Terrific. But there was a first division wages. First division is where I want this club to be. You sure you can afford it? You sure you're worth it? Cheeky sod. We're going to need a holiday first. Take as long as you like. Two weeks. Somewhere hot. On you. I'll even throw in the bloody trunks. Um, but yeah, he never like the film implies that he never managed the team, but he did for 32 games. And uh yeah, I guess like he and um he and like yeah, um Taylor are sort of uh fighting over the Leeds job offer. Um, but you know, there's no record of that even, and because he was committed to Brighton, he did 32 games there. No, I gave Brighton the word, Brian. I can't do it. And you tuna fester down there with all those bloody Tories in that blue rinse retirement home by the sea. Yes, Brighton's a small club, I'll give you that. Bloody midget! Yes, but at least we be together, you and me, Brian. We can build them up, make them our own, like we did with Hartlepool's, like we did with Derby. And then what? Bottle again as soon as it comes to the big time. That's always been the trouble with you, Pete. No ambition. That's the trouble with you, Brian. Too much ambition. 
Too much greed, too much everything! Yeah, you knock it, but it's done you proud over the years, hasn't it, my ambition? Without me, you'd still be in Burton bloody Albion! Yes, and without you, I still have a job in Derby! A job and a home that I love! Oh, yes. You're the shop window. I grant you that. The razzle and the bloody dazzle. But I'm the goods in the back! <laughs> without me, without somebody to save it from yourself, Brian fucking club, you're not just half! You're nothing! I'm nothing! I'm nothing! Don't make me laugh. What does that make you then, Taylor? Something! You're half of nothing! Nothing's parasite! A big fat pilot fish that feeds on nothing! A bloody nobody! The forgotten man! History's fucking afterthought! Did Brighton take the filmmakers to court? Of course they didn't. They're in the Premier League. They're worth hundreds <laughs> of millions of dollars. <laughs> this is one of the things I liked about it, though, was when they were talking about the players' transfer fees and the wages going, you can't pay them 300 bucks a week, whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know. What does, that, what does that work out to in 1971? It's, it's not a little bit, but it's not like your 500,000 pounds a week that they're getting now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just leading on from that, the film does also imply that Clough reunited with Taylor straight after leaving um, Allen Road in September of 1974. However, Taylor did manage uh, Brighton and Hove Albion by himself in the 74-75 and 75-76 seasons, uh, with Clough obviously joining Nottingham Forest. We've, we've uh, spoken about that in 1975, where he managed himself um, up until the end of 75-76 before they then reunited um, at Forest and won with Forest in 76-77. So, again, you know, it's just leaving out some parts of it, um, you know, the whole Brighton and Hove Albion thing. Um, I think, I think like, you know, as a viewer, like, I could definitely tell that, um, you know, Taylor took that job or, like, would do that job himself, um, even, like, you know, without me knowing, you know, the history of his um, managerial roles as well, like, you know, as a viewer of the movie, like I could see that that's, you know, what happens sort of off screen, I guess. Um, but I mean, yeah, like I just explained, like they sort of like did leave those things out or, um, you know, sort of like try and work around them or change the sort of course of events, but definitely not in a sort of like drastic way that, you know, again, you know, just random viewers of the movie, um, you know, of the time like they were able to piece it together and like they might not have needed that sort of information to sort of piece it all together and um come to the conclusion of what actually happened yeah yeah um i don't know if this is just a me thing but uh, i thought peter taylor had a pretty good setup in brighton that house right on the beach uh looked beautiful i wouldn't want to move back to the city either before we get too far away from it 300 bucks i just did the inflation calculator 300 bucks in 1971 is still just 1800 dollars today so comparatively yeah, yeah. low wage even in the second division yeah <laughs> <laughs> no players union back then maybe no broadcast rights yeah that's what it's all about then broadcast dollars actually just on, on the broadcast of it i did like that as opposed to goal um they got the they just used footage of, of a game so there was none of that like it's i think football is a really hard sport to to actually um to actually film compared to like say american football where there's lots of stoppages and it's very cinematic this one um football is hard to to film so i think they did a really good job of just using archival footage and the odd clip here and there that they filmed on the set to just get around that because it's, it's not about what happens on the pitch really. it's about what's happening in his head yeah yeah definitely. i agree with that 100 percent yeah 
Um, I'll just end this uh, part of references to history. Again, like, you know, I don't know if it uh, does anything to sort of the story and or even like why these sorts of things were changed, but there were a couple of uh, instances of the game results um, that were changed um, from real life. And so Leeds's uh, 1-0 loss to Luton Town uh, during Clough's reign. This game was played um, on the 7th of September 1974. It in fact finished one all um, with Barry Butlin equalising for Luton after Leeds took the lead through Alan Clark. Uh, the film implies that Derby's 5-0 defeat to Leeds occurred in the 69-70 season, soon after their promotion to the First Division, with Gordon McQueen playing for Leeds United in the match. In reality, the 5-0 result occurred in October of 1972, uh, the season after Derby won the 1972 First Division Championship and the fourth since their promotion. It was McQueen's first year as a Leeds player. Um, he had not been in the, at the club in 1969. Fascinating, Jason. What what the listeners want to know is, though, right? Okay, I think you know what's coming here. Oh no! <laughs> is this movie directionally challenged? Do we need to go to geography school with Jason? Uh, we could. Um, I think there are a couple of. T- <laughs> I don't know like too much about like the direction side of things, but I know like stuff like the pier. Um, I think it's the Brighton Pier. I don't think that it was named the Brighton Pier. Um, when they uh, said, you know, set that particular time in the movie, um, that like 74, 75 time. I don't think it was named Brighton Pier. Um, I think as well, um, there were, I think it's like just signs of the time, I guess, and like when it was posted and they weren't able to accurately like portray the background to how it was like back in the 70s. Um, I think that I saw that there was like a parking meter like at the beach side front. Um, and those weren't invented at the time or anything like that. <laughs> um, so I don't know if they're too much of like geography based things, um, but more so like, you know, signs of the time um, and just like placing them within the time frame that they weren't. Okay, interesting. So just a peek behind the curtain for all the listeners. Jason usually goes to the locations of these movies with a compass and figures out if they're walking or driving <laughs> in the right direction. Uh, busy week, Jace. Couldn't make it to Brighton. No, I couldn't. Couldn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll move on now, and we'll look at how well the film depicts the sport. And I've just got one instance, but here we can obviously talk about you know how the sports played on the pitch. And Kieran, you sort of touched on it a bit just before as well. But I think that so much of this movie as well is like the back back of house type of thing like stuff in the club rooms in the boardrooms all those like background talks and stuff and so obviously like this is a film that's uh largely based on fact um and so you know we sort of uh tend to expect that a lot of those talks and those decisions behind the um behind the scenes were sort of taking place or like would take place and um you know whether they were in the change rooms in the boardroom um just even like in the tunnel um when i think like the um, one of the owners, I think it was um, Jim Broadbent's character, maybe, um, you know, he comes and confronts Brian a couple of times, like just out in the open, um, whether at the training pitch or like in the tunnel and be like, you know, why are you playing the first team? Like, I want you to throw this game. And... What's up, Uncle Sam? A little stairs for you here, isn't it? Taking a wrong turn somewhere. Just in the team sheet. Hinton O'Hare, Todd McKay, that's our strongest side. Well, of course it's our strongest side, it's Leeds United. Would you prefer I send out the apprentices? Uh, Juventus midweek, semi-final of the European Cup. Biggest night in the club's history. Couldn't you feel the... What? You know. A weaker side? 
Am I hearing right? It's the chairman of this football club seriously asking his manager to lose. You know what I'm saying. Against their biggest rivals. The chairman of this football club is asking his manager to be pragmatic and manage his resources, prioritise. We've just embarked on a huge programme of refurbishment, improvement, new stand, better floodlights. We need a good one in Europe to pay for it. I'm going to pretend I didn't hear a word of this. Still got an hour before kickoff. I'd reconsider if I were you. I don't think those would be uh, out in the open like that. But anyway, like, I think that, yeah, so here we can talk about, you know, many different things. I th th So the only thing that I have is that the film shows uh, Billy Bremner, um, who gets suspended before the start of the season, sitting next to Brian Clough in the dugout during a game, um, whereas in reality, players and coaching staff are not allowed in the dugout while on suspension. So I think with regards to... Uh how the how the film portrays the sport mm -hmm. i think i think it what kieran said a little bit earlier um nailed it a little bit like it was pretty light on with the actual sport i mean it's one of them sports movies and we've come across it before on this podcast where it's a sports movie but there's not a lot of the actual sport it's more about all the all the machinations behind the scenes and and really this particular movie is 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 about brian clough and and the character of brian clough I suppose. Yeah, it's almost like a better version of um, of the club, the, the Aussie Rules movie, where it's all about like the backroom dealings and you know, yeah, the runnings of the, of the organization. It's almost like a, a better version of that, or like um, segments of any given Sunday. It's um, it's got like that sort of feel to it, which I, I like because I mean, especially considering they seem to assume that people are familiar with the events. Like they seem to assume the audience in England and BBC viewers are um, familiar with the events. Um, they don't really need to show a lot of archival footage or a lot of match day footage. They need to show the scores because that's all that matters is the results mm. and how things are going. So the things we don't know, what's happening in the change rooms, what's happening in the dressing room, what's happening in the boardrooms, those are things that the audience, even the most diehard Leeds fan, wouldn't be privy to. So real or fake, that's something they don't know. And showing the footage or recreating it would have been disastrous. It would have looked like cats. Um, <laughs> honestly in a weird way I, I would have kind of been into that if they made yeah. it look like cats <laughs> yeah. uh, best case scenario it looks like escape to victory worst case scenario it looks like goal and neither of those 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 movies really get it right do they they, all look, they look a bit ridiculous both of them so I don't know why football is really hard to to capture unless you sort of do what Ben like Beckham didn't just point at a bunch of people in a field playing and just take snippets but um yeah, I'm glad that they didn't focus too much on the on the match day events. It just would have taken up too much time and it really wasn't necessary for the story. I was going to say, I think football and, you know, you mentioned the club there. My God, what a terrible movie. <laughs> um, AFL as well. Um, even, you know, rugby league chasing comets, um, the cricket movie, save your legs, all these sports, maybe a little less extent cricket, but, you know, it's... It's. I, th I feel like I'm just going to talk to what how why I think it's difficult to kind of film. It's too unpredictable, you know. Mm -hmm. And then in order to stage it, it either looks too much like a training drill, or it looks staged, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. The few movies that 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 have got it right, these types of sports, have gone the way that you mentioned, where they're just like, okay, play a game, and and we'll just get some snippets of it. Yeah. Uh, also, because like a, a good game of football, 
in real life, you know, relies on accident. You know, like you said, it's, yeah. it's fairly random. So like a uh -huh. foot here and there, touch here and there, just a toe poke will, will change the whole game. And you can't recreate that without looking like someone's not going into the ball because they're waiting together, got to put the toe in. You can't choreograph like you can a kung fu fight or um, a dance routine. It just looks, it looks stupid. It looks like Escape to Victory looks ridiculous, except for the fridge of Pele just running around people because they just let him do that. And <laughs> they just filmed it. Um, yeah. Every other bit of the fridge in that movie looks absolutely stupid for a movie with so many great and they, they had you know great players of its era world cup winners and that and that that movie and it just looked, still looked dumb so mm -hmm. i think they went the best possible route here is to not not show much except for stephen graham as as bremen punching someone behind play you can recreate that <laughs> yeah no sure you gave a couple of uh you know great examples there when you were you know speaking about uh you know just how this movie sort of uh portrays the sport and like all the background stuff and um you know I implore everyone to go and back and listen to those particular episodes. Um, and yeah, I think that we sort of talked about this sort of stuff um, on last week's episode of Goal as well, just in terms of like, you know, the staged um, aspects of, you know, the sport itself. And I think Kieran, you were saying last week as well, like those close-ups um, of, you know, Kuno Becker's legs or like, you know, whoever's legs they were, um, because like, you know, they, they like, you know, it's sort of like, you know, the back and forth between like the close-ups and the, um, you know, you didn't know where he was on the field. Like, I think that was what you said last week in that regard. But I think that, you know, this week, um, you know, having that like archive footage, um, you know, going through, um, you know, the rise of uh, Derby, for instance, and having the, that archive footage there um, to sort of portray that, you know, Derby were playing these games against these opposition, um, you know, they were winning um, and this is why they were rising up the table. I think that that worked really well. Um, in sort of connecting it, yeah, to the time, to sort of saying that like this Derby team were playing this team and this they won, which why which is why they were rising up the ladder. Um, and so like I think that you know that really worked well in this way. And I don't think that yeah you could really recreate that sort of stuff. I think that like in that quick fire way that you wanted it to um, sort of depict like Derby's rise up the table. Like I think that you couldn't have um, you know staged um you know depictions of the sport you couldn't have like the actors playing that a particular game and i think like the run through of all of that archive footage i think that that really helped in like you know keeping up with the pace of the story and the pace of the rise of derby um throughout that particular season and so yeah like i don't think that you know you would have got that if you had the actors um you know giving their own uh you know performance of a particular game um, I think, yeah, it would have just been lost. Yeah, I think they did it really cleverly. It's a nice trick the director used where they showed Derby starting off in the second division and the footage was in black and white. But then, you know, when it switched to colour, you knew that he was coaching in the first division now. So they showed the, the difference in, in class and the difference in broadcasts and the step up in the world, I guess, basically through through doing that. I thought that was quite quite a clever choice from Tom Hooper and that's probably the last time I'll ever say that about a Tom Hooper movie. Uh, yeah, the only like blemish that I have on these particular, um, you know, run throughs of the archive footage, and this maybe goes back to, um, you know, accurate accuracy of the times um, in the montage of the actual matches being played, um, showing Derby's rise to the second division championship in the 68-69 season. One of the games is against Everton, um, whereas Everton, or that footage is actually from 69-70 season um, when the, both of them were in division one. Um, which Everton won the league that season. And uh, Everton 
um, as of the 68-69 season, hadn't played in the second division since the 53-54 season. Um, and so, you know, they added that in there um, when, you know, Derby didn't play Everton in that particular season. Um, I think that's the only, you know, wrong bit about that particular montage that they might have got but again like I think like that continuous run through of all those like montages of all those matches of all those wins like I don't think like it you know really took away from what uh, the viewer was looking at on the screen or what the film wanted to like give off um, in terms of yeah like as we keep on saying Derby's rise up the uh, table. All right we'll go into the cast list now and it's a pretty big cast list but so I will just give you uh the main couple and so we had Michael Sheen as Brian Clough, Timothy Spall as Peter Taylor, Cole Meany as Don Revy, Jim Broadbent as Sam Longsome, uh, Andy Graham as Terry Cooper, Maurice uh, Reveres as Jimmy Gordon and then we also had Stephen Graham as Billy Bremner who was uh you know the Leeds' sort of best player. Um, like I said we've got so many other uh, characters and actors who are in this movie, but you know, if there's anyone that you want to particularly single out or talk about how they, you know, these actors portrayed the characters well, not well, um, you know, with other actors, go for it, Kieran. We might get your thoughts first on the cast list. Uh, it was good. I mean, I, I would watch um, Michael Sheen read a phone book. Yeah, I think he's great in everything he's in. I think he's great in Underworld. I think he's great in um, Masters of Sex. I think he's great in. Um, What's that? The Queen. It's great in The Queen. Yeah, I think he's just a, he's a really good actor. He's really engaging, really charismatic, and he, he does disappear into his role, so it doesn't feel like you're watching an impression of Brian Clough. <laughs> it does feel like you're watching just a, a movie about a character, and I think that helps sells it. I like seeing Stephen Graham in anything as well. I think even though he has a small role, you know, when he's in um, Snatch, um, Boardwalk Empire, um, what's that five-hour movie on Netflix with Al Pacino? Um, the Irishman. Yeah, he's good in that. I just think he's great in everything, even in a small role. He's got a really good screen presence and he just has that that mean look about him all the time, which worked perfectly for this movie. And um, yeah, that's about it for me. I think the the casting was great. It's a very British cast. And when you watch an English movie, you sort of expect to see a lot of these faces. So it's great to see them show up. You forgot forgot Martin Sheen's biggest role, Kieran, in the uh, Twilight series. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, I, uh, I, that. <laughs> I think we all want to forget about that. I um, I just uh, you know, I second Kieran's thoughts on Michael Sheen, fantastic character actor. Um, and as I as I said at the top of the pod, um, you know, I had a bit of a hard time maybe in the first ten minutes with his portrayal of Brian Clough, but uh, come the end of the movie, um, he'd won me over, so he was fantastic. Cole Meany was great, terrific um, actor. Um, can't remember his character in Star Trek: The Next Generation, but uh, it was Miles something. Anyway, he's always that guy to me. But as as Kieran said as well, he's he's been in a stack of stuff. Hell on Wheels is uh, one that springs to mind. Um, I'm pretty sure he has a role in The Departed, not a main role, but uh, I'm sure he's a part of that. Uh, yeah, he's one of the, one of the guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he he's just brilliant. Uh, I love him in 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 just about everything. And then. Uh, Peter Pettigrew, rap boy from Harry Potter, Timothy's Paul, probably one of the most ugly men to ever grace a uh, a film camera. But Jeezy's uh, good, and uh, you know I love him in most everything he's in as well. See, Peter Taylor should have been the one to sue because he doesn't quite. <laughs> he yeah. looks nothing like that, does yeah. he? <laughs> 
Yeah, you're right. At, at the end, yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, Brian Clough, Martin Sheen, you know, they look similar enough. But, uh, yeah, Timothy Spall, Peter Taylor, you know, look a bit uh, different to, you know, yeah, real versus uh, film depictions of how they look. Um, but, yeah, I want to touch on, like, uh, Michael Sheen as well. I think that, like you, Stewie, I sort of, like, didn't really like him at the start, um, you know, when he was giving that first interview. Um, I didn't really like him, but I think that he sort of did grow on me. I still, like, probably hated, like, the character just because of, like, his intentions and, like, you know, sticking to those, like, you know, that, um, you know, that pettiness um, of the snub of that handshake that, you know, he was sort of holding on to and had a grudge against Don Revy for. Um, and so, like, I think, like, him holding on to that so much, um, it maybe took away from what, like, I felt from the character. Um, I know that, like, you know, he might have been like that, he might not have been like that, but I think that, you know, Michael Sheen's portrayal of, like, that type of person, um, you know, whatever way that he wanted to give off the character of Baron Clough, I think, like, it worked still. Like, I feel like Michael Sheen was able to do that. Like, you know, he was able to um, be upset, angry. Like, he was able to sort of, like, convey his emotions really well um, in line with what Brian Clough was going through or might have been thinking at the time. Like, you know, like, everything that was happening, I feel like, um, you know, everything that was happening to Brian Clough, I feel like Michael Sheen could, like, accurately, um, you know, give off, you know, what, Brian Clough might have been feeling at the time um and so in that sense like I think that it was a brilliant performance from Michael Sheen um I don't know like what I thought about Timothy Spall at all um you know I and I don't know if I just see him as Peter Pettigrew so he's a different bit of character in this movie but um I feel like you know he was I don't want to say like he was a bit of a nothing character like he was obviously like you know to the side of um Brian Clough he was the assistant manager um, but I feel like he was just like, you know, pushed to the wayside um, too much um, and wasn't, you know, able to accurately like show his like true colours. Um, you know, maybe that was Timothy Spall. Um, maybe that was Peter Taylor, the character. Um, but I think like the best um, parts of uh, Peter Taylor in this movie were like that fight between him and Brian on the pier. And then like even that scene at the end when he's like, you know, beg say this stuff um you know i think that like you know we got a good laugh out of that don't make this difficult for me pete you know why i'm here i won't bloody grovel all right all right i'm gro i'm groveling i'm on my knees I apologise, unreservedly, for being a twat. I apologise for being a twat. Unreservedly. Unreservedly. Because I can't do it without you. Because I can't do it without you. I'm nothing without you. I'm nothing without you. Please, please, baby, take me back. Fuck off. All right. Fine. Please, please. Baby. Um, but, like, I think that, yeah, I think that that's where sort of maybe Timothy Spall really shown 
um bright in this movie um but aside from that like i feel like yeah he was just like this side character but you know he was like the second main character but he was also just this side character at the same time so i don't know um but yeah i think that everyone else you know I think that's the only two that I probably want to touch on. I think um, I think that the others didn't really have like too much screen time um, to sort of give an overall um, assessment of them. Like you know, you had to only go off a couple of minutes each, or you know, you know, a minute in you know different scenes and that sort of thing. And so yeah, I think Michael Sheen and Timothy Spall, like those were the two main uh, people in this movie. Um, and they sort of worked off each other really well. They conveyed that uh, manager-assistant manager relationship, but I think that uh, Michael Sheen was just a bit of a uh, step above, um, and Timothy Spall was uh, a bit below that. Timothy Spall had the best lines in the movie, though, when he was making him grovel at the end there. Please, please, baby, take me back. (laughs) That got me. That really tickled me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I apologize unreservedly. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to say a little something about Michael Sheen. There's a couple of scenes there um, when I was watching the movie and uh, one in particular when he's at, I think it's the first Leeds training scene and someone lobs the ball over to him, he chests it down and just rifles it into the net and says, that's how you do it. Um, I thought, oh, wow, that, that was really good. That must have taken a lot of takes. Turns out maybe not so many takes because Michael Sheen is actually quite a talented footballer. When he was 12 years old, he was actually uh, offered a youth contract with Arsenal Football Club, but, uh, you know, spoke to his family and and turned it down. And uh, I think it's fair to say that um, things turned out all right for him. I think, uh, you know, it it wasn't a bad decision to follow the acting path. And uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, Don Revy, Cole Meany's character, Fantastic. Could have looked very, very different. Sir Kenneth Branagh was actually cast in that role, but uh, had to drop out due to uh, filming schedule conflicts. Yeah, um, he would have just continued a trend of, uh, you know, Harry Potter actors being in the series in this movie, I think. Um, (laughs) He would have been doing Thor at the time, wouldn't he? That about to that, yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, I, I would have I would have seen Kenneth Branagh in that Don Revy role. Um, definitely. I think that he would have played that role really well. Um, you know, and just leading on from your uh, Michael Sheen uh, fact there, Stewie, Martin Compton, um, who plays John O'Hare um, in the movie, he was actually a professional footballer in Scotland before he got into acting. Uh, he made two first-team appearances in the 2001-2002 season for Greenock Morton in the Scottish Second Division. In both matches, he appeared as a substitute. In both matches, they lost 4-0. Geez, if he stuck around in the Scottish football scene, he probably could have got a gives a soccer at this year's World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next prompt asks if there was a relatable character to you in this film. So it may be the character overall, a particular aspect of them, or maybe, you know, you just see yourself in that line by Peter Taylor, maybe. Um <laughs> <laughs> was there anything anyone like that for you guys Joey will get your idea or your uh possible relatable character first listen uh not only is this relatable for me but I think it's relatable for everybody um everybody's had to forgive my language here everybody's had to eat shit in their lifetime and go back and apologize and oh my God, I was wrong. You were right. I'm the worst. You're the best, you know, all the rest. Everybody's had to do something like that before in their life. So I did find myself kind of uh, 
relating to to Brian Brian Clough at, at the end of the movie when he had to uh, apologize and 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 kind of uh, win Peter Taylor back over. So that's the one for me, mate. Kieran, what about yourself? <laughs> I, I relate to Brian Clough at the start of the movie. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I, I can sometimes put my foot in it. Um, sometimes with prospective employers by openly criticising them and <laughs> this organisation's a little bit shit the way they do things. Um, so I do a lot of tweeting and deleting, but um, I, I get why he was doing it as well. Like he was trying to stay true to his beliefs at the start and he does think he's pretty funny in real life, Brian Clough. So, um, you know, he likes to stir the pot in real life and um, sometimes he can put his foot in it because of that. So I, th- I guess I'll relate to that because just because you're right doesn't mean you have to say you are all the time. Yeah, I think for me, like it might be Brian Clough just in the way of like, you know, coming into a new area um, and hoping to get the backing of uh, people involved um, in that particular job or role um, or industry. Um, And so, yeah, just coming into it, um, sort of feeling like you're taking over a bit um, and, you know, trying to get the uh, backing of all of your players or, you know, all of your co-workers or anything like that. Um, I th- and, you know, how hard that might be. Um, I think that that's where I see myself relating to a character in this movie. All right, we now get to our last prompt of this particular episode and we ask if you could have a football movie get made, what would it be and why? Uh, Stewie, you've, uh, you know, wanted to go first on this, I think, a couple of times. <laughs> do you want to go first this time or do you want to pass off to Kieran? Yeah, Sorry if I wasn't engaged the last minute and a half. I, I knew that this prompt was coming up and it was ticking over in my head um, on what I was going to say here. No free ads on the Edge of the Crowd podcast network, but I have been listening to a fantastic podcast at the moment on the Ringer podcast network called 22 Goals. Um, basically, this guy has put together 22 goals from World Cup history to kind of get you pumped up for the World Cup. And uh, episode I listened to recently was about uh, a character called Roger Miller from Cameroon, um, famously scored a goal against England in the 1990 World Cup. Um, just from listening to that podcast, I found out some things about him that were uh, fascinating. He was easily the best player in Cameroon um, in that era. But by the time the 1990 World Cup came around, he had retired to some West Indian island and was just playing for like a small town team, enjoying his life, sipping margaritas on the beach and, and, and playing with his kids and hanging with his wife and stuff. And he'd retired from international football for quite some time. And their striker who had been, who had come to kind of replace Roger Miller in the international team, he got injured on the eve of the 1990 World Cup. He was called up to the Cameroon team. None of the players wanted him in the team um, until he started banging in the goals. And uh, I just think that would be a fascinating story to see um, played out on film. What do you got, Kieran? Okay, so I want to go back in time a little bit and grab Adam McKay before he started making quasi-serious movies like um, uh, Vice and um, you know, that one about the asteroid. I don't like. I want to go back in time, take him back to the time when he made Step Brothers, redo this movie with Will Ferrell and John C. Rye from Step Brothers, Talladega Nights era. That's what I want. That's perfect. That's. I think you win this segment. Yeah, I want Will Ferrell as Brian Clough, and I want John C. Riley as, as Peter Taylor. You know, it's, it's just a few tweaks, you know, like resigning, then going fighting in the office, but you're not supposed to accept it. You know, just a few tweaks could make this an all-time great Will Ferrell, John C. Riley reunion after the Sherlock Holmes disaster. Beautiful. I love it. How can I top that? <laughs> Sorry, Jason, um, but you, just, you can't. 
You can't talk about that. <laughs> I want to see that movie. <laughs> Guess I'm not providing a uh, idea then. <laughs> That's how you get out of it, Stewie. No. <laughs> I see. Um, I see. <laughs> no, nah, I'll give my idea. Um, I think that I was just thinking of like, you know, similarities with uh football i guess um and it led me on to thinking about like gaelic football um and you know the sort of like similarity that that has to you know soccer football itself um and my idea would just be someone growing up in ireland growing up with gaelic football um and just like you know how they have different rules um as well like you know you can handle the ball you know run with the ball whatever um and i think just a story about a gaelic footballer from ireland um, wanting to make the move to football itself um, and uh, just the differences that sort of he has to go through um, because, you know, there are so many differences at the same time. And, um, you know, like it's a, I'd, I suspect it would be a big adjustment to someone who, you know, plays in the field, can openly, you know, handle the ball, punch the ball um, outside of the goalkeeper and stuff. And so I think the story about that and the adjustment between two different sports, but two sort of similar sports at the same time, that's my idea for a film. Very good. Not as good as Karen's, but still very good. <laughs> mine's, mine's very, very much just a, a classic 2000s pitch. So walking with me, what about this with Will Ferrell? Like that's how yeah. movies used to get made. Yeah, if you pitched that in 2005 at a restaurant in Los Angeles, it would be made. Yeah, apparently that's how Talladega Nights got made. They just said Will Ferrell was a NASCAR driver and that was the whole meeting. All right, that does now bring us to the end of the episode. So, Stewie, Kieran, would you like to share your social media handles and any other platforms or avenues where our listeners can find you? Sure, you can uh, You can find me on Twitter at Stewie is sick of it. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at Stewie the Sports Guy. Kieran, where can we find you, pal? Uh, you can find me most of the day on Twitter at, at Captain Yap, K-A-P-T-I-N. Um, and on Instagram at Kieran Yaps and Rights with an N instead of that and. And you can find me on both Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Jace Irvs. You've been listening to Goals on Film. You can find Goals on Film on Twitter and Instagram at Goals on Film Pod. Goals on Film is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and TikTok at Edge of the Crowd. Part of the Edge of the Crowd network is the Australian World Cup podcast. You can find them on Twitter at Australian WC Pod uh, for all your FIFA World Cup news and analysis, which, Stewie, you do uh, a couple of times a week with uh, Callum. And uh, you've had some pretty good guests on recently as well. Yeah, it's been great. It's great. It's great fun. Great to talk about football and, uh, you know, um, give it a listen. It's not bad. As well, you can also view any of Edge of the Crowd stories, be it sport, culture, or politics on our website, www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Until next week, thanks for listening.